0: Good morning, Jundo. How are you today? Really good, but we got something we want to tell new listeners. Okay, go ahead. What is it? We don't like this podcast until about episode six. I mean, no, no, I, we like it, <laughs> but you got to get to know us first. and then So go listen from episode six to the end, and then when you know us and love us, and you will love us, come back to the beginning.
1: Okay, great idea. <laughs> Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good evening,
0: Jundo. How are you today? You know... That's not such an easy question for a Zen guy, because if I've had a bad day, a good day, every day's a good day. That's what we say. Did you ever hear that expression? Every day's a good day.
1: No, I remember the one about a day without orange juice is like a day without
0: sunshine. But no, that's a different thing. No, no. Yeah. Koto Sawaki, famous Zen master, bunch of other uh, old Zen masters said every day is a good day. And that means even the days that really suck. You can have a happy day, you can have a sad day, a healthy day, a sick day. Every day is that day, and thus every day is a good day. So I am having a good day,
1: Kirk. How about you? Well, it's okay. We were talking before the show about how we both have hot weather, and I don't really like hot weather. But I'm getting by because I have some little mobile air conditioners to keep my house cool and comfortable.
0: Well, you know, back in the 13th century, no air conditioners, you know. If you're going to go old school.
1: It probably wasn't so hot out there. I I know global warming is probably not a topic for this week's episode, but, you know, these things are changing.
0: Well, you know, they built the Zen temples up in the mountains, but that meant in the winter they'd freeze their butts off. But the summers are hot too.
1: Yeah, it's true that you're in a country where summers are hot and winters are cold. Um, I grew up in New York City where back in the day we would often have a couple feet of snow and very, very hot summers. So I guess it's just we have to get used to it. And I'm just not used to the heat anymore. Anyway, um, let's not talk about the weather. Everyone here talks about the weather. I wanted to start by talking about something we discussed in the last episode. And as is your want... Um, your discussion of this online has created a little bit of friction. We talked about IQ. I had mentioned that I had been reading some of his poetry, and his poems are really interesting. But you said to me that maybe we confuse his being a, quote, drunken horn dog <laughs> for enlightened behavior, or what sometimes is called crazy wisdom. And some people yeah. didn't appreciate it, how you said that. And I'm going to link in the show notes to. A Facebook page in a Soto Zen group on Facebook where you've quoted a few of his poems. Yeah, yeah. This is one of these things where you, know, you some had to bring agree this up. Well, <laughs> it's it's okay. an interesting
0: topic. It really is. Okay, here's the thing about EQ. EQ is one of the greats. He was truly a free spirit. He was a poet. He was a teacher's teacher. He was what a Zen man should be. He sat Zen practiced with all his heart, but he knew not to take it too seriously. He knew not to get caught in the cobwebs of the, of the monastery, and he knew to go out and be his own man. But this is where I got in trouble. You know, there's a limit even there. E.Q. was a drinker and he'd head down to the brothels and he'd spend time with the girls, which is fine. In those days, you know, it was acceptable for people to do that. I have no trouble. I'm not a prude. You know, I'm not expecting people not to have sex. But the fact of the matter is, he was a priest. So, in those days, priests were supposed to be celibate. When you ask me about iq i think people today use him as an excuse just to go wild and that's not good either mm, you know yeah. if you if you use him as an excuse to overdrink, or you use him as an excuse to have you know harmful sex just be addicted to things that's not the, what iq's message is either so i said not everything a zen guy does should be taken as enlightened behavior. Sometimes, you know, a drunken guy who's just in the brothel's, uh, you know, getting it on is just an old horn dog. It's not <laughs> enlightened behavior. It's not a teaching. It you got to separate the two parts of it.
1: Yeah, and and other traditions call this crazy wisdom and they sort of defend the same thing. It's you know, we see this a lot in historical tales of different Buddhists and the way they've acted, and some of them do crazy things, and that's fine. Where do you draw the line? What's the line between
0: normal and crazy? Number one, you've got people who do crazy things that hurt somebody. That was not EQ. I don't think right. anyone particularly got hurt. As far as I can tell, it was all consensual behavior. And you've had some Buddhist teachers out there who really abuse their students, basically yes. rapists. Yeah. And that was not EQ. So that's not what I'm talking about. But at the same time, if a guy is kind of just, you know, going hog wild, just say he's a human being who likes to drink and have a little fun. It's his day off. Cut him some slack. Even a Zen master is entitled to a little fun and to have a day off. But just don't say it's a teaching. This is an example for all of us. It's just an example of how to have fun in a bar.
1: (laughs) But some of that poetry is pretty deep.
0: Fantastic.
1: Yeah. So what do we have to do? We just have to sort through and see. We're often told we shouldn't be picking and choosing, right? That if people pick and choose, they'll accept what they want and they won't accept what they don't want. So we come up with a similar problem here.
0: That's on the absolute level, you know, beyond all right and wrong. But down here on Earth, you got to say that sometimes a crazy Zen man's acting crazy is a teaching. And sometimes it's just, you know, party time. Don't take him too seriously. I mean, some of his poems, his poems are beautiful. But, man, some of them would make a sailor blush. Uh, <laughs> I, I've seen some translations of these. Let me think. If you know any word for the female anatomy, Ikus got it in a poem somewhere. He was, uh, you know, he was a fun guy, but it wasn't a teaching. And we yeah. have to separate out the two. Now, this annoyed people because some people say, you know, Zen priests are not allowed to have sex. And I say in you know, the Japanese tradition, I'm married, I was single, you know, we date, you, you, you have relationships, you have sex. That's not the problem. I'm not against sex. I'm saying that the people on the other side, who say he's a perfect being? Everything he did must be for a reason. Everything he did must be enlightened behavior. These people are wrong too. They're they got a too romantic image about him too. So let's go the middle way here and say he was a great teacher nine to five, and at night, he was just a, another guy in a bar. No problem.
1: Okay, so that brings us to a question that I have. Um, yeah. I've been reading a book by a Tibetan Rinpoche. Technically, he's Nepali, but we call all of that tibetan buddhism and he talks about how important happiness is and the dalai lama is always talking about happiness and and the tibetans they're always happiness is so important yet i never hear anyone in zen talk about that as being a goal you're all out there with your black robes and you're
0: all dour and dismal what's the deal with
1: the happiness thing
0: you know the tibetans on their books are doing a bait and switch (laughs) because if if you really read the Dalai Lama... By the way, the Dalai Lama, I found out, was going to have the same publisher I have for my book next year. So, yep. I, you know... Uh, the, of course, his books uh, sell a million times more than my book will, but... Uh, well, we don't know that yet. Well, but anyway, when you read the Dalai Lama's books, on the cover, they always speak of happiness. And in the pages, they always say about finding happiness. But when you actually read it, you know what that happiness is? What I said at the beginning of the show every day is a good day equanimity towards the good and the bad is their definition of happiness it's not being you know like IQ in a bar la la happy all the time it's not happy hour happy it's uh, being happy to be sad being happy to be sick sometimes being happy to be old in other words being content Equanimity. So you know the Zen people. We uh, we don't pull that in our books so much, and we actually talk about accepting things. But it's exactly the same message.
1: Okay. So it's not like there's this happy hour in the Tibetan Buddhist bar where enlightenment is half price from five to six.
0: No. If you want to get la la happy, there's a guy on the corner selling a pill, and you take that pill. But in two hours, you're not going to be so happy. Buddhist happiness is a happiness that transcends the ups and downs of life. And that's the Dalai Lama's real message, I think.
1: Okay. It's true that it is, in a way, it's a bait and switch because they do use the word happiness a lot in titles. Um, Whenever you look at the magazines, right, and you see all these pictures of the contributors, everyone has these glorious smiles on their face. They always look so happy. And it's almost like you're seeing a fashion shoot in a certain way. That everyone well, looks like a model, the way they're looking, and they can't always be that happy, can they?
0: You know, the joke is in the in the Buddhist publishing world. If you put a magazine out with Thich Nhat Han or Dalai Lama, you double your sales. Yeah, you know, that's why I, I don't think I'm going to be on the covers of a magazine anytime soon. Uh, but uh, there are certain things you do. You put a smiling Tibetan uh, Dalai Lama on the cover, and you put the word happiness and. Yeah, it's going to it's going to sell really well. But the real message is every day is a good day, even the days that are not so good. So what's the title of your forthcoming book? Well, you know, the publisher's going to let me know, but as far as I know, it's The Zen Master's Dance and it's about Master Dogen who is the fellow who uh we've been talking about who brought Soto Zen from China to Japan and wrote Shobo Genzo, and uh, is the big uh, chief in uh, Soto.
1: I'm going to make a suggestion that you could double your sales by calling it the Zen Master's Dance of Happiness. In a bar, in a brothel. No, I would
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Zen Master's Dance of Happiness. You got it. I'll tell the publisher.
1: So you've gotten into a little debate with another Zen priest. We won't name this person. He who will not be named, yes. He who will not be named. Um, The question was whether Zen priests should bring politics into Zen. So he says you should never bring politics into Zen. You say sometimes, and a lot of people feel strongly about this.
0: Well, it depends what you mean by bringing politics in. I do not know any Zen teacher who brings in politics for the sake of politics. But sometimes our precepts about, for example, not killing, not doing violence, or helping sentient beings makes us talk about things like social policy that sound like politics or overlap with politics. So if I'm going in there and say, you know, vote for my guy, root for my party, party, rah, 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 no, I don't know any Zen teacher who does that. But if I say, for example, we believe that children should not be exposed to violence or we believe that for example it does violence maybe even the current issue to separate families or children or uh, even adults should have clean drinking water because it causes cancer and that is harming them or taking away from their lives boy for some teachers that sounds like politics but it's actually a comment about how to live in this world that sometimes the Zen teacher must do from the pulpit or, or speak from the zafu, the sitting cushion as we say. So that's where I disagree with this guy. He said, never any politics. It's better to keep quiet and that way everyone is welcome and can just sit zazen. But we don't sit zazen to stare into our navel and just feel good. How can we feel good if there are children suffering outside, you see? So sometimes you have to speak out and say, this world can be a little better. That's part of our practice, too.
1: That's a fair point, but in certain political issues that you may be discussing that are going on at the, at the time you're talking about them, um, stating an opinion about them is agreeing or disagreeing with a specific
0: administration. Well, let me put it to you this way. I don't even say all Buddhists need to agree on what the precepts tell them to do. Somebody, for example, when 9-11 happened, some Buddhist teachers said... We actually may need to have a war now to save life. And other Buddhist teachers said no, absolutely, you should never have a war. So even Buddhist teachers disagree sometimes on what you're supposed to do. And there can be conservative Buddhist teachers, even though a lot of them happen to, to take positions that sound awfully liberal, you know. So
1: We know the history of Japanese Zen leaders around World
0: War II. Uh, Many of them were in favor of that conflict. Well, in Asia, if you go to China and you go to South Asia and and Japan, I would say a lot of Buddhist priests actually are pretty conservative. It's the established church there, and a lot of them support the government. They support uh, traditional social policies. They would take, for example, maybe a stance against abortion. They would take a lot of what you would consider to be conservative positions. And in the West, it is true, a lot of people tend to be more on the left. But the point is, you don't have to agree with what the teacher is saying from the pulpit. But sometimes the teacher needs to speak about it. And if you don't speak about it, maybe you're complicit in some way. So some of the things that you've been saying
1: here reflect, I would say, a certain mindset, a certain, in some ways, certain political values. And what it What do you do if your teacher is expressing these values that you disagree with? Let's say your teacher is saying things that are too liberal or too conservative, and not necessarily in Dharma talks, but in just small talk. How do you react to that? Well,
0: I think uh, that the criticism by that fellow is right, that some of the teachers these days are being extremely very far on the left, and that will not be to everybody's taste. It's sometimes too much for me. Uh, they can really go overboard the, the Soto Zen Buddhist Association uh, issued a document that some people criticized as being socialist or communist or whatever they used and I said well now it really wasn't but I could see how you, you could read into it it's really really you know, kind of radical and doctrinaire so what happens if your teacher starts mouthing off on something that you don't agree with first off be willing to be challenged Second off, if you don't agree, just keep sitting or find another teacher. If you can't find another teacher and you don't like what's being said, listen politely, bow, and just go your own way. Don't let it affect you, but you know, be willing to be challenged. If a teacher says something that I don't agree with, my teacher, Nishijima, sometimes had, uh, he was a 90-year-old man from Japan. He had some opinions on the world that I didn't agree with. You know, he was very old school. And I often said I didn't come to him to hear a talk about politics or how to fix my car. I came to him for Zazen. So if he said something about politics that I personally didn't agree with, I just bow and say thank you, Roshi, and get back to sitting. Very easy.
1: Okay, that's a fair point. A few people have wrote in with questions about anger. Now, anger is not a good thing. We know that. But sometimes we can't avoid it. And some people are asking, is anger ever justified? Um, Someone wrote to say that he was angry at a friend who was behaving very badly, doing harm to some other friends, including children. Is it okay to be angry about that situation?
0: Yeah, you're right. Zen guy can't say anything straight. Depends what you call anger and how you're angry. Uh, Sometimes in Buddhism, there's the view that the Buddha and... Uh, other great teachers were completely beyond all anger and it's possible it's possible I've met people in this world who are really really mellow about a lot of stuff that might upset a normal person but if you read Dogan, if you read a lot of the masters too you know it seemed like they had the things that push their buttons too and I think it's okay if you are angry just to overflow and explode. No, that's not good. But if you have inside a kind of sense of injustice, something is wrong, a righteous kind of anger, then maybe in moderation, boy, that's a motivator and it is okay. Like Gandhi, you know, maybe he's a man of peace, but he was not happy with the situation in India and it motivated him. Martin Luther King, the same way, a man of religion, didn't seem like an angry fellow, but boy, something was driving him, a fire inside. If it's that kind of anger in order to, to fix a problem you see in the world or in your life, I think it's okay, in moderation. Don't let it explode, don't let it overflow.
1: Well, you mentioned two people who were notably nonviolent. Um, I guess once the anger gets into violence, then we have to look at it differently.
0: No violence. The, the only exception, I was talking about this some, sometimes today. Perhaps to save life, there may be times to use violence defensively. I had a friend, uh, I think I've spoken about him before, he was a policeman. He had to save a child who was being held hostage by killing the hostage taker. He yeah. didn't do it in anger, but boy, he carried that for the rest of his years until today. Uh, he did, the, it was a just what they call a justified shooting, but he bore yeah. the weight. Sometimes even a Buddhist might have to use violence to save a life, but don't do it in anger. Do it because it's medicine you may have to administer.
1: Yeah, sometimes the medicine tastes bad or causes pain. As you know, um, you went through radiotherapy and other things. Uh, They cut out much of your insides, and yet they cured you. So sometimes that that, violence that that can be carried out against someone can actually be helpful. Yeah,
0: no, that's a kind of violence. But uh, there's a famous story. The Buddha, in a previous life, killed a pirate to save 500 people on a ship. It's a famous old story. And he said, I take the karma on myself. I'm willing to go to hell for a while. This was before he was the Buddha Buddha. But he said, I'm willing to go to hell for a while in order to save these 500 innocent people by killing this one person. If you have that attitude, sometimes you may need to do violence. But avoid anger. A little righteous indignation? oh, It's okay.
1: Okay, let's talk about something that happened to me personally. My freezer died yesterday. We have a standalone freezer, a six-foot freezer, and we buy food when it's discounted, and we put it in the freezer. I'm sorry, I
0: don't chant for household appliances that have passed from this world.
1: Oh, well, I was wondering, should I hold a service for the freezer when it's replaced? Should I thank it for its service?
0: Well, you should uh, feel gratitude towards it. As I uh, said, uh, I think last week, we we feel gratitude towards all the things in life that we take for granted that help us. Certainly that freezer, you know, got you through many, many meals. So, yes, I would bow and and feel some gratitude to that freezer. Before it gets carted away to
1: the great freezer recycling center in the Before it
0: goes off to, yes, uh, refrigerator heaven. That is correct. Okay, we talked about anger, and a little
1: bit short of anger, um, sometimes people criticize or talk about the shortcomings of others, and we have a precept that says we shouldn't criticize people. How do we balance that with the need sometimes to criticize people or to make it clear that they're doing things that might be wrong? And this is not quite the angry bit, but this is the bit of being honest to people in a way that will make them understand that maybe their actions aren't ideal.
0: Yeah, I just had to do that uh, with somebody um, just an hour ago. Sometimes you, you have to offer criticism constructively because you're seriously concerned that there's a problem that needs to be addressed, or I talk about someone, even if they 're not in the room, I, I talk about someone in the news or another Buddhist teacher. I criticize the Buddhist teachers who are having sex uh, and harming students because that criticism is meant to be a constructive and legitimate criticism of a, a real issue that 's real different from just you know gossiping about people and you know hanging around the water cooler and uh, you know. Say what the Dalai? Did you hear what the Dalai Lama is up to this week? Not like that. Uh, if you have something to say that will help someone by your saying it, then it's a go- then it's okay. And that that includes tough love sometimes, man. Sometimes uh, you have to look someone in the face and say, "Man, you got a problem," and I'm going to criticize it. It's okay if you're trying to be helpful.
1: I hate to be gossiping, but the Dalai Lama did say something oh, that was what? a little what? bit. There was an interview, I think, on the BBC, and he said something about, you know, people raised the question of, will there be a successor? Um, Will there be a female Dalai Lama? And he said, if a female Dalai Lama comes, she should be more attractive. For the magazine covers. But hold on. The, The quote that I'm seeing, he said this while laughing and scrunching up his face. People, I think, he said, prefer not to see that face. I think... Knowing that the Dalai Lama likes to joke, I think he was just joking, saying that he's not attractive. But unfortunately, (laughs) this was taken at face value with those just first words at the beginning.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, let's give the Dalai Lama, uh, who uh, has many good years of service to all of us, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And it was just a a joke. But, you know, he's got a point, you know, uh, sometimes uh, people uh, judge their Lamas by appearances, and uh, we got to get past that. Uh, let's hope the next uh, Dalai Lama is an ugly Lama. An ugly Lama? <laughs> well, I mean... Okay,
1: I, because they, they have the Dalai Lama, the Panchen Lama, and they have a bunch of other Lamas. Maybe they should make a new one, the ugly Lama, to balance well,
0: things what out. I, I, well, I, all I meant by that is uh, we have to get past appearances to see who someone is. Now, the Dalai Lama is a lovely, lovely man. doesn't matter what he looks like. And uh, that's what's really important. It's As my grandmother would say, it's who you are on the inside, even when you're a big old llama.
1: The Tibetans have this tradition of recognizing successors through people who are newly born as if they were reborn. And generally Japanese Zen people do agree about the rebirth reincarnation thing, but they don't take successors in the same way. Did they ever do that in the past?
0: I, let me think, let me think. Not really, no. The, the, the abbot... It's
1: more a direct transmission from teacher to disciple.
0: Well, yes, you had that, but it wasn't considered a reincarnation thing. There was uh, the, the wisdom of uh, the Buddha was, was passed down from generation to generation. But the abbot of the temple in the old days was considered to be the embodiment of Buddha. So you had that uh, going for you.
1: But if you had 100 temples, then you had 100 embodiments of Buddha. So it wasn't like they were each the individual reincarnation. Oh, we can
0: never have too many Buddhas.
1: Good point. That should be the subtitle of your book, The Zen Master's Dance of Happiness, colon, We Can Never Have Too Many Buddhas. So, Jundo, where do we go
0: next? I have no idea!
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website zen-of-everything.com. And if you want Jundo to answer your questions, send us an email at podcast at zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.